Well, hello there, listener. My name is Matthew Renfro, host of The Fro Show, and you're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 44 and is being recorded on July 25th, 2014. Today's topic, Star Trek Continues, episode 3. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Raven Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. How's it going, Eric? It's going. I'd rather not talk about this week. <laughs> there you go. Okay. We're focusing on Star Trek because it's fun, and I love Star Trek, and you love Star Trek, and we all love Star Trek. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's true. You know Star what Trek. I also like? What's that? I also really like Star Trek Continues. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about it tonight. Uh, as am I, especially this episode entitled uh, Fairest of Them All. Yep. Mirror, mirror on the wall? Yes. Who's the fairest of them all? So why don't we uh, you know, jump into the news here? Perfect. So the first bit of news I have on here isn't exactly Star Trek, but it's kind of fun. There is a crowdsourcing effort to search the moon for alien artifacts. What? <laughs> <laughs> so you know how they had SETI at home? Yes. Something similar to that, where you know you're gonna be looking at uh, pictures of the moon to see if you can see any anything up in there. Um, <laughs> and we're looking for alien artifacts. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I guess I could look <laughs> well, at pictures of the moon. I mean, <laughs> well, that's cool. You would think because of weathering and you know the natural progression of the Earth's surface, any alien artifacts would probably have been destroyed. But on the moon, they wouldn't mm. have been. You know what's going to happen? What's that? It's going to be like 2001 A Space Odyssey, and we're going to find the obelisk. Yeah. Yeah, the monolith. And yeah. then we're going to go to Jupiter, and then some guy's going to trip out on acid, on space <laughs> acid, and then our whole humanity will change. You know I've never seen that movie all the way through. Are you kidding me? No. It, actually, it is a little tough to get through. Yeah. <laughs> you have um, to be in the mood for dry Arthur C. Clarke mm-hmm. sci-fi. It's a long movie, too. I, yeah. it's, it's really long. And literally, that mind, that like color-flashing eye sequence, mm-hmm. it literally goes on for ten minutes, I think. Oh, wow. Like, his descent into the monolith. Yeah. It's beautiful to look at, but you're like, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, the, the graphics, I mean, in that Oh, for movie, its time, it was amazing. Yeah, and that movie set the tone for all the ship models that would come forward in, in movies. The, uh, the Enterprise from the motion picture had all that detailing because of 2001, The Space Odyssey, right? Indeed. Yeah, 2001, The Space Odyssey. Well, and Hal was cool. Well, of course, Hell was awesome. Yes. Well, I'm I'm curious to see if anything comes about of this project because it could potentially change our view on the universe. That's true. 
unlikely, but hey, why why not? Right? Why the hell not? Yeah. So next, <laughs> we have a Star Trek boogie van for sale. Mm-hmm. This was posted on the Huffington Post, and let me see if I can. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Star Trek shagging wagon. That's what yeah. this is. Pretty much. There's a, a topless Vulcan oh, female. Oh, my God, there is. <laughs> um, to anyone listening with small children, do not click the link. Well, at least don't show them. <laughs> don't show them this. <laughs> the Star <Trek laughs> podcast after dark. I like this article. A Vancouver dad. So he's a dad, and he's got this yeah. man with the topless Vulcan. Is reluctantly selling... <laughs> His custom 1978 GMC van. Wow. I mean, the the paint job is beautiful. It's it's a great paint job. I really like the detail on the Enterprise. I'm sure that's what you like the detail of. I, <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> also, the interior was meant for one thing, and that was... Uh, that's Ponfar. It's meant for Ponfar. Right, it's uh, <laughs> diamond-quilted red velvet. <laughs> My God! <laughs> he posted it on eBay for eight thousand five hundred dollars, with the ad set to expire on Friday. I'm actually going to go to the link because I think it ended. Mm-hmm. There were zero bids. Ah, sadly, it it was not. It did not sell. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure the shipping on that thing would be pretty expensive. Uh from Canada. I think you would have to be, like, you'd have to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, what that at, that, at that point, you'd have to, yeah. Um, yeah that's I wouldn't weird. want to put miles on her. It looks like she's already seen a few miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, goodness. So, My yeah, God. that's uh, that's one of the things I saw this week, and I was like, you know what? That is the most awesome piece of news I'm going to see this week. I disagree. I think there's something a little bit more awesome, but that's... Cool. Coming a little bit later. Well, um, we'll see, Mr. Barry. Oh, okay. What's next <laughs> What's next on our list? As you know, as our listeners know, I'm a big Hallmark ornament fan. Really? I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> oh, well. Did you see I purchased the Green Girl uh, limited I did. edition? And I saw your review of it, mm-hmm. and it was too bad that the paint job was kind of sloppy. I asked someone else who also picked one up, and mm-hmm. it must have been just just the one I got. So are you going to exchange yours, or are you just going to keep it? Uh, I'm probably just going to keep it. Uh, they're limited okay. edition, so actually, the one I got was the only one left in the store. Oh, wow. I don't know if it was the only one in the store or not, but there are limited quantities, and after they sell out, they're not going to restock it. Right. So it was only available for that weekend. So are you saying that with this news item, there's some more that they're releasing? For 2015, they've already announced the ornaments. Oh, wow, this early? Is that typical? Do they typically um, release it, the information that early? They announced it because of the San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, of course. So that's kind of why they announced it. So they only have the prototypes ready, 
but they are the Uhura it, that goes along with a, a series of... Uh, of the original series characters? Of, of the, yep, uh, and I have, have them all so far, except for this, this year will be Sulu. Oh, uh, nice. So, so next year, Uhura. They'll have the Spock death scene from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That's actually a really good-looking ornament. Yeah. And the Enterprise-C. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm hoping it's not the final paint job of the Enterprise-C. It, it, it looks a little off. I, yeah. I, I will agree to that. I don't think the colors pop as much as they did on the show. Right. And, and these are just prototypes. Right. So, so they're subject to change. It looks like they are on display right now at San Diego Comic-Con, but at the time people will listen to this, that will be over. But there is another chance to see these, and that's New York Comic-Con in October, 9th through the 12th. Nice. Very nice. And that's not too far from me. Maybe I'll take the trip. We'll see. Well, maybe. I heard it's a good time. And if you go, you can probably get me whatever exclusive Power Rangers thing that they'll be selling there. Oh, Power Rangers, you say? Well, not do yet. They have, do they have Power Ranger ornaments? Uh, they actually, they, they released a Hallmark ornament back in 2005 for SPD, mm. which is my favorite season, and I have okay. it. Oh, nice. And I nice. don't know if they did any others. I'll have to look into that. Well, what, there's a new movie coming out soon. I guess if you want to just lead right into that. Um, So, (laughs) Roberto Orsi will be the executive producer of the new Power Rangers movie. This was announced last week, Mm -hmm. and he, as Star Trek fans know, he wrote both of the 2009 J.J. Abrams movies, and he is rumored to be directing the third movie in his directorial debut. Right. So we actually discussed this in length on Ranger Command Power Hour, uh, episode 16. Okay, and where can they find that? You can go to rangercommand.com, or you can go to foureyedradio.com and check that out. It was our latest episode, episode 16, and we went in-depth, an in-depth discussion Mm. on this whole reboot and we talked about Roberto Orsi a lot. There was also some good Star Trek conversation in there, uh, per- okay. particularly uh, some Carol Marcus in the new movie discussion. Okay. So well, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely. So that is that's pretty big news, and yeah. I can't believe it because Roberto Orsi has now like worked on two of my childhood things that I've also podcasted about. So uh. it's like. It's like he's now involved in both of these fandoms, and it's kind of crazy. I think it's exciting. Maybe you should do a third podcast about something else you really love. And so then it'll happens. be a movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, I'm two for two. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, see, maybe they'll have uh, new Power Ranger uh, ornaments based on the new movie. Maybe. I- I'm actually curious how many they've done. I'm actually curious, because I'm not a huge ornament collector. Oh, apparently they've done these for a few years. Looks like they've done one for Ninja Storm, which was in 2003. 
Dino Thunder, which was in 2004. I've got the one from 2005, which is SPD, mm-hmm. which actually sucks compared to these other ones. <laughs> And I think that's all they've released. I don't see any others. So it looks like they only did it for three years in the early 2000s. Huh. Well, I'm sure with this reboot, they'll All be... kinds of licensing yeah. will take place. So, so that's cool. So what's next? Next, we have Zoe Saldana, who is three months pregnant with her first child. Whoa! Congrats! Yeah. Congratulations, Zoe. I did hear that this is not going to affect the production for Star Trek 3 okay. or av- the new Avatar movies. I guess they're working around her schedule. Okay. Which is cool. I, it's, yeah. it's nice that they're uh, you know taking that into account. So. Yeah. Well, I hope it'll still have a release date in 2016. For, yeah. Uh, hopefully this doesn't push it back any. I don't think it will. And... There's other actresses that have been pregnant, and they know how to deal with shooting around that. Right. So, yeah, cool. Next, already available in Canada, Warnog is coming soon to the United States. It will be in Indiana on July 26th. So that, oh my god, that's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Or it's already happened. <laughs> it's it, already it, happened. You're listening now. <laughs> yeah. Um... Wow, the beer will arrive first in Indiana with launch parties taking place in Evansville and Indianapolis. After that, Washington State will be the next state to offer Klingon Warnog. My God, maybe I sh- maybe I need to take a road trip this weekend. Maybe, oh, maybe I need yeah. to get some Klingon beer. Is that it's, is it's that not cool? worth it? No, no, okay. that be no. I don't actually. It, Indianapolis is like a five-hour drive from yeah. me. I don't know where Evansville is. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, that doesn't seem worth it just for Warnog. Hopefully, it expands <laughs> its U.S. presence, and uh, we'll all be so. able to have some. I'm also looking for that Vulcan Ale. Uh, that's also by the uh, oh, the heck is that Federation of Beer. Or... Oh wow, Evansville is even farther south in Indiana, so I will not be drinking the fine Klingon beers this weekend. That's, that's unfortunate. Well, you would think Chicago. Chicago has a huge uh, beer market here. There's a lot of craft beers that are brewed in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think it would make more sense to do in Chicago, but that's just me. And Boston is known yeah. for their Boston lagers. Yeah, it, we have tons of alcoholics in Boston. This would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently from the uh, Boston uh, Creation Convention, a lot of truck fans as well. Indeed, indeed. So there's a lot of drunk truckies in Boston mm-hmm. and probably Chicago. Like, let's yeah. let's get some Warnog there. No one is a truckie in Indianapolis. I mean, come on. Right. I mean, who lives there? I don't even know anyone who lives there. I, I don't either. Yeah, no one. There you go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, epic fail. <laughs> yeah, so, so next, moving on to bigger We're, news. We've got... We've got about three news items for Star Trek Axanar. Yes. To start, Star Trek Axanar, the prelude to Axanar, will make its debut at the San Diego Comic-Con, and it will be screening at the Las Vegas Star Trek convention July 30th through August 3rd, and then Houston Con 
August 8th through 10th, where the entire XNR team is signing autographs. So I backed Prelude to XNR. Mm-hmm. They're going to be shipping perks this next week. And they added, for San Diego Comic-Con, they gave everyone who supported them, they gave them a chance, uh, a link to buy the program book that they have at the debut at San Diego Comic-Con. So I actually bought it. It's one of those, like, it's based off one of those old-school program books like they they used to do back in the day for movies. Like, movie theaters would pass out, like, special books. Uh, Like, you know, like, magazine-type pamphlets about the movies. And I guess they modeled uh, their book after one of those. So it's filled with, like, production notes and sketches and all this stuff. I paid $30 for it. I think uh, it's being signed by the entire cast. So I'm actually excited to get that. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a good buy. So Prelude to XNR will be made available to the public on July 30th. Yep, which right around the corner next Wednesday. I'm very excited for this as a backer of the project, I've been following along all their updates, mm-hmm. and they've put so much work into this, and it really shows. I think this is going to be one of the best, uh, you know, independent productions because mm-hmm. Alec Peters said it's not a fan film; it's right. like an independent movie, and the quality really shows with the talent that they got. Right, definitely. So I, I think we are all excited. Well, speaking of Axanar, the main Star Trek Axanar for their main uh, kind of motion-length type picture Mm -hmm. started today. Right. And they have a goal for this Kickstarter of $100,000. And it looks like, as of right now, it just passed $47,000. So almost halfway there. Half, almost halfway there in a day. And we'll see what happens on Monday. Maybe it'll be, maybe that would be funded already. I think at the rate it's going, it's quite possible. I've already backed this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went with the another hundred dollars uh, stretch goal. I think their perks are really great, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that you know you're supporting great quality work like this, it sends a message to the people at CBS. I think, and that there's a demand for more Star Trek. Oh, definitely. Uh, Now, this uh, Kickstarter campaign, this this section, they're breaking it up into sections. This one is for the soundstage and set construction, because the total cost of the production is estimated to be six hundred fifty thousand dollars. Whoa. Yeah. So they decided to break it up into sections to make their goals more achievable. Okay. I uh, don't know if I'll be backing at the same level for all of them. Right. Um, but it looks like this is the main, this is the biggest portion of it, I think. Because set construction is huge. Right. And the fact that, you know, a soundstage costs a lot, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I hope I hope they get it, because, wow. It it looks incredible, and I want I want it to succeed definitely. Yeah, uh, as do I. Now, yeah. if if you are a previous backer of Prelude to Axonar, if you contribute within the first five days of the Kickstarter, you get an exclusive patch. 
Nice. So I already did it. I encourage anyone who has already funded Prelude to get on board and donate for this project, get a free perk, basically, mm-hmm. and get on it, because as of the time this episode releases, you'll probably have two days left. Right. Just wanted to throw that out there. Right. So, yeah, go back it, people. If you have the money, go back yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So next we have the Star Trek Ships of the Line contest, which was announced at the, at the San Diego Comic-Con. It will run from now, July 25th, until September 2nd on StarTrek.com. The work of the 13 winners will be immortalized in the 50th anniversary 2016 Star Trek Ships of the Line calendar. What? Yeah. Designs <laughs> for the ships can be submitted in paint, pencils, ink, markers, pastels, or charcoal. Computer-generated images are also acceptable. This and is they, amazing. And they have to be ships that have been seen within the franchise. Seen or mentioned? Or mentioned. Uh, Maybe that's a loophole. Maybe, possibly. There are ships that have not been shown. But mentioned. But mentioned. Mmm. Mmm. There you go. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's exciting. Uh, Who knows? I may take a crack at it. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of time uh, between now and September 2nd. Uh, I might try to do something in 3D. We'll see. Cool. Uh, Who knows? I encourage all of you artistic people out there to submit something. Yes. Because you never know. You you could be immortalized. The 50th anniversary calendar. Yeah. That's huge. It is very huge. And I'm hoping, like uh, Doctor Who's 50th, I hope Star Trek goes really big with their 50th anniversary. Oh, man, I hope there's so much merchandising. The only problem is I'll be broke. Oh, yeah, it'll be like me for the Power Rangers 20th anniversary stuff. I mean, shoot, that stuff's still going on. (laughs) Yeah, All the merchandise and stuff, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, it'll be great with the new movie coming out. Yeah. Uh, In this new movie, they're supposed to be going on their five-year mission, so hopefully we'll see some new and strange worlds. I really hope we do, and not a crazy, maniacal person bent on... Destroying the Earth, which was the last two movies. <laughs> yeah, well, and several other Star Trek films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, the Green Girl movie has begun screenings in the United States, including one scheduled at IMAX in Vegas on Thursday, July 31st at 9 p.m. to coincide with Star Trek Las Vegas convention. And you can check them out at facebook.com slash greengirlmovie. Yeah, and it looks like they're meeting all their goals to have the film screened, which is awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for some more perks to, the rest of my perks to come my way, especially uh, the, the DVD and stuff. So I only got the t-shirt so far. Okay. But, yeah. That'll be cool. I, I am looking forward to seeing it myself. Uh, so next, would you buy it? So before we announce what it is, Eric, would you buy this? I would buy this if I had the funds available to do so. <laughs> As would I. 
what are we talking about? The Star Trek Phaser Remote Replica, which will be selling for $149.99. Yes, that's right. $149.99. But it has so many features, it takes up almost a full page of our show notes. Indeed. Should, should I just run through them really quick? Uh, l- l- let's uh, let's back and forth fire it. Okay. Fully functioning programmable infrared remote control that looks just like a phaser. Officially licensed Star Trek the Original Series merchandise. Compatibility virtually all home entertainment systems. Recreated from 3D laser scans of the last known screen-used hero prop. Detachable Phaser 1 in pistol grip with securing bolt. Gesture-based remote uses infrared to control the entertainment systems, but not RF systems like PS4 or Xbox. Oh, man. Boo. Type 1 Phaser works as a standalone, gesture-based, universal remote control. It's like you're getting two remotes. True that, homie. Personal lock code lets you keep the pew-pew all to yourself. (laughs) Guided setup teaches you how to use the phaser with spoken prompts. Store up to 36 programmable gestures over three memory banks. Multicolored flashing emitter for pew-pew visuals. (laughs) A 10-position dial that selects a range of different phaser firing sounds, including phaser overload sequence. Uh Uh-oh. Plus silent mode for stealthy control. Tactile force feedback vibration motor lets you feel the power of the phaser. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that's all it does. Comes with metal display stand with hidden magnet. Materials. High-quality nickel and brass-plated die-cast metal parts, lacquer-coated, mm. for her pleasure. <laughs> Batteries. Built-in lithium polymer battery. Recharges using included USB cable. Includes specially designed protective transit case with hidden magnet, die-cast metal display stand, USB charging cable, special issue enterprise screwdriver... Oh my god. (laughs) ...with blade cover and debossed text, and an illustrated poster manual. That case actually looks really awesome. I'm going to go to that link. Go... Wait, do I have a... You don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Google it. Uh, Damn it! <laughs> dimensions. Assembled phaser measures 8.2 inches by 6 inches by 1.4 inches. Protective case measures 12.6 inches by 7.4 inches by 2.4 inches. Oh my god, it's available on thinkgeek.com. Not yet. Coming soon. November 2014. Yes. Oh my god, that case does look amazing. Doesn't it? Oh my god, it's like you break the phaser down like if it were a real gun. That's incredible. That is incredible. Oh my god, I love the case. Yeah. I I may need to get this. Just for the case and like it I would pretend it's a real phaser and not even use it as a remote. 
this this is too good to use as a remote. It like makes noise, lights up. This is this is like a this is like a real prop. Yeah. I I would not use this as a remote. I mean that'd be awesome to use maybe once in a while to impress your friends and look like yeah. a real tool. But um, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, this is. I think I need to get this for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, right around Christmas. Perfect timing for this. Oh, my God. It's like they planned it that way. Indeed. <laughs> okay, this is a total buy. Oh, you're definitely going to buy it. I, I may have to. Yeah. It's the, one the, of those... this, this may be work Christmas bonus purchase. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's really hard to pass up, but it costs so much money. Yeah, for one thing, it kind of does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But hey, buy it. I'm I I'm gonna try to buy it or convince someone to buy it for me. That's the best way to do it. Hey Ashley. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, well, uh, that's yeah. two thumbs up, two Delta Shields up. Uh, whatever we're doing. Um, I like Delta Shields up, Captain. <laughs> there you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, so moving on to the topic of the show. Star Trek continues, episode three, fairest of them all. So this is in the Mirror Universe. Spock faces a choice that determines the future of the Terran Empire. And needless to say, this is a sequel, a direct sequel to Mirror Mirror, the classic original series episode. And Star Trek continues, literally continues this story. Yeah. And they do, in the beginning teaser is a shot-for-shot recreation of the ending of Mirror Mirror. It it literally starts when Mirror Mirror ends. Yeah. I highly suggest that anyone watching Fair This of Them All watch Mirror Mirror before you do it, because you will have a complete viewing experience. Right. It's, it's like how it should have been. Yeah, I, yeah, it's like... It's like mirror, if Mirror Mirror were a two-parter back right, in the exactly. 60s. That would, yeah. been, that would have been amazing. Right. And uh, the events of this episode were alluded to in the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes. So not only is it a sequel to Mirror Mirror, but it's also in a way a prequel to that those DS9 episodes. Right. Which famously DS9 was the first Star Trek series after the original to continue the Mirror Universe concept. And mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that the next generation never touched upon that. I really wish they did, but I don't think DS9's Mirror Universe episodes would have been as rich or as yeah. different as they were. Because I feel that the TNG Mirror Universe episodes would have just have been a continuation of the Terran Empire. Right. Uh, I, I don't believe that they would have had the downfall of the Terran Empire in a TNG. But that's not to say that TNG didn't have its fair number of alternate reality right. Right. episodes. Yes, so, yes, Right, which is kind of a good view of like a darker time mm-hmm. in the TNG universe. Right. So maybe the reason they didn't do a Mirror Universe episode then was because they already had all these alternate reality-type stories. Right. But anyways, fairest of them all. 
some notable cast changes and guest stars for the episode? Yes. First, Chuck Huber replaces Larry Nemechek as Dr. McCoy in this episode. Which I, I think he did a fair job. Did a good job. Yeah, me too. McCoy. Yeah. And he was also there, Dr. McCoy, in the the teasers that they did before the first episode started. Right. So it's not like he's a stranger to playing Dr. McCoy. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, next, the role of Lieutenant Marlena Moreau is portrayed by actress Asia DeMarcos. And I think she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, yeah, I think she did the character justice. Yeah, and it's amazing because she actually looks like the original actress, too. Yeah, very much so. Which I heard, uh, interesting side note, she was handpicked by the original actress Oh wow! To, to play Lieutenant Marlena Moreau. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so it's nice to see that Star Trek continues, is going that extra step to making this show authentic as possible, even getting former members of the crew members and actors of the episodes to approve who plays them. I mean, that's right. that's a level of respect mm-hmm. and detail that I, I think is really great. I, I agree with you. Next, the, the voice of the computer is supplied by Michael Dorn. Which is a fantastic Easter egg if you're not expecting it. Yeah, and I think it fits in perfectly with that universe, that darker military type of universe. Right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the Enterprise uh, Mirror episodes, wasn't the voice of the computer a male in that one as well? I thought they did. I'm not sure. Like the Enterprise computers? Yeah, or did it not have a voice? I I don't think it had a voice. Uh, I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think the Enterprise had voice control, and the but, the Defiant would have. But that's from our that's from the Prime timeline. Right. The Halcon leader Tharn is played by actor Bobby Clark, who played the part of one of Chekhov's guards in the original Mirror Mirror. Yeah, which I thought was kind of fun. I didn't even know that until just now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Reading the show. Memory Alpha. <laughs> Memory Alpha. <laughs> Comes through again, which is, is cool. It's cool. And as we know, Chekhov in the Merrimurri universe, or episode, tries to mutiny against Kirk and have him killed. Yes. And that comes up again in this episode. Now, what did you like about this episode? Hmm. Story-wise. Story-wise. What did you think? I liked that it kept in line with the explanation Kira gives of how Spock kind of softens the Empire. Yes. So uh, I'm glad that we see the seeds of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really would like to see beyond the story in the Mirror Universe, how does this one ship in the fleet, in the Terran Empire... How does one man change the future? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like a theme uh, throughout this episode, how one man can't summon the future. And it appears that one man can summon the future with Spock. One of the points that I really liked about this whole episode was the performance of Todd Haberkorn as 
Spock. Mm-hmm. He nailed Spock. Right. All of the emotions, or, you know, in Spock's case, not really emotions, but all the intensity of Spock, mm-hmm. what he had to deal with in this episode against Kirk, mm-hmm. and the challenges that he had to face in this episode, it was amazing. Right. I think he was the highlight of this entire episode. Yeah, and, yeah definitely. And especially the dialogue between him and Mirror Kirk. Mm-hmm. You know, in the... There's one point later on in the episode where they're kind of like facing off in the lounge room, I guess. Oh, yeah, the officer's lounge, yep. The officer's lounge. Yep. And I thought that whole scene was great. It was like a verbal cat and mouse game. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I really like that. I'm glad that Sulu got some more time in this. Yeah, that scene with McKenna was uh, a little steamy. But it I liked, was steamy. I liked how they gave her a part in the story. Even though she wasn't in the original series, yeah. Right, right. I like how they tied it in, too. It was really nice. Yeah, definitely. I was also glad to see how sympathetic Mirror Universe Scotty, like, he turned around. Right, and it was... Towards the cause. Right, and it's weird... It was hard for me to buy the fact that about 400 crew members sided with Spock over what they've all been taught since childhood and went against the Empire. Yeah, I can see that. I I think that that is one of the criticisms that I would have as well. It seemed to wrap up a little bit too neatly. Right. At least with with the crew members, it seemed to go a little fast, mm-hmm. and maybe the timing, the passage of time wasn't really displayed that well. I guess, right. but overall, I really liked the episode. Yeah, I, I liked the story. I thought the story was was good. People say that's the best Star Trek continues episode to date. Mm-hmm which I, I guess I would agree with. I did like the moral dilemmas in Lolani. Yeah, I. it's hard for me to say that this is the best one. It's certainly close. Mm-hmm. For me, I definitely think it's a tie between Lolani and this episode because both raise interesting moral dilemmas. Mm-hmm. And they're both well acted. Even the first episode with Apollo, that that was a great one too. It was. The Pilgrim of Eternity. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're able to release this amount of quality is stunning for a fan production. Right, and that's the quality is what what sets it apart from other fan-based productions. To date, yeah. anyway. To yeah, date. to date. <laughs> well, one thing I wish they... It would have been hard to do in one episode. I wish they kind of went more with the Enterprise storyline, with the the Vulcans and how... Like, why is Spock allowed to be on the Enterprise? Because they the Vulcans were trying to revolt against the Empire right. and Enterprise. I, I know he's ha- half. He would still be half Vulcan and half human. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the key? In uh, how did Spock's parents meet in this universe? Because it's hard to believe that he that there would be an ambassador. 
Right, yeah. If anything, the Vulcans would have been subjugated at that point. Right. That would be an interesting reversal if if his mother is still Amanda in this universe. Maybe she was the ambassador. Or maybe not even an ambassador. Maybe she was a conqueror. Maybe. maybe. That would have been interesting. And kept, um, kept his father as... A slave. A slave, yeah. Yeah, and maybe the reason Spot in the Mirror Universe got to where he was was maybe he had to be more cunning and ruthless mm-hmm. because everyone would have been against him in Starfleet. Right. So, and you can see that because Mirror Kirk, well, he's really distrusting anyways, but it seems he's always been suspicious of Mirror Spock. Mm-hmm. And... Right. We didn't get to see that a lot in Mirror Mirror because we we were seeing from our universe Kirk's perspective. But this episode continued what little we saw of Mirror Kirk mm-hmm. with the great performance by Vic Mignogna. His Kirk is spot on. Right, and I thought this Mirror Universe Kirk was better than his regular Kirk. Oh, oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. He was just ruthless. And, oh, it was just, it was creepy. Because mm-hmm. you're like, I know that's Kirk, but it's not Kirk. It's it's a mirror Kirk. And he's a total mirror of James T. Kirk. And right. he's the most ruthless he, instead of the most compassionate. He's, you know, a conqueror instead of, you know, a, a respected leader. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like a lot of people hate Kirk. Right. on the Mirror Universe side. And, oh, it's just, it's fantastic. Right. And one of the things that I wish happened, the the characterizations of some of the characters, like Uhura, she didn't really seem that ruthless in this universe. She seemed a, very tame compared to what I would be expecting from from a female of this universe. Well, here's the thing, though. Because Uhura in the regular universe, she's pretty feisty. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, you know, no nonsense. She's sassy. Mm-hmm. And she still gets the job done. Maybe the mirror Uhura is very diminutive, has been beat down so much. Mm-hmm. And you can see that because in the mirror, mirror, when. Uhura gets to the bridge, our universe Uhura, you know, Sulu's all up on her because he's expecting that. He's expecting her to give in. Mm -hmm. And our universe Uhura is like, no, you got to step off. And she's ruthless, and that surprises Sulu. So I think having Uhura, the mirror universe Uhura, be kind of like more good in Mm -hmm. a way, I think that's believable, okay. considering if if we're considering that they're mirror counterparts. Right. Because Uhura in, in our universe, she stands up for what she believes in. She's opinionated, and she can take charge, too. Right. What's the mirror of that? What's the opposite of that? Mm. It's diminutive. You know, she's not going to take risks. So I, I can see that. Okay. I can yep, see that. Yep, those are good points. Good points. What did you think of the guest stars in this episode? Like Kipley Brown, she uh, played the the navigator in this episode. Oh, oh, the the blonde. I I thought she was okay. 
her her character didn't really stand out for me. Uh, again, mm-hmm. she seemed like Uhura in this episode. She just accepted Kirk and tried to uh, please Kirk. She didn't want him to be upset. She was like, "Oh, I I can navigate the ship. You don't need to get another navigator." Well, it's they were they were afraid, right? Right. And for Spock to take control, I think they saw their chance mm-hmm. to side with him. I thought that fight scene with Kirk and Spock was very good, where Spock had his hands around Kirk and was oh. about to kill him. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and maybe he should have. <laughs> maybe. But then he lets go at the end, mm-hmm. showing more compassion. And then what he does, he gets up, he presses a button on the wall, and Kirk kind of goes off and says, these people need me, they'll go for the slaughter, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And mm-hmm. then Kirk, uh, Spock steps away and shows by a blinking light that what Kirk just said got broadcast throughout the show. Oh, yeah. And, and that pretty much helps Spock's cause, rallies everyone against Kirk at the end. Oh, yeah, and then, Kirk. and then they take him into custody, and then any of his supporters, they kind of give him their own shuttlecraft and say, well, good luck. Yeah, that's. I really wish it wasn't the Galileo. I wish they changed it to, uh, like, a conqueror's name instead. Oh, that's a good point. And had it, like, I don't know, <laughs> uh, Mussolini. Uh, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, that would have been a nice touch. Yeah. But it's the fact that Spock spared them, even though Kirk and his company were ready to kill all of them. Yeah. I I would like to see a sequel to this episode where Kirk... I don't know if Kirk would be given another ship for losing property of the Empire. No, he'd probably be killed. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But I do want to see what happens in this this movie. Yeah, it's even though it's a sequel to Mirror Mirror, it still it still gives you just enough taste of the Mirror Universe to keep you wanting more of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think more so than Enterprise did. Oh yeah, definitely. Because in Enterprise's case, it was more of a sequel to the episode of the original series with the Defiant. Right, right, with the Tholians. With the Tholians. Oh, speaking of aliens that make uh, appearances (laughs) in the Star Trek Mirror Universe episodes, Mm -hmm. early on they mention, oh, the Andorians are pursuing us, you know, the Andorians, the Andorians. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope we see an Andorian. And we didn't. But we saw their ships. Mm-hmm. And they used the Enterprise designs, but it get, they gave them the coloring of, like, what a ship in the original series would look like. Yeah, kind of like a... Like know, a white know. with a coloring effect. Yeah. And I'm so glad they did that. That was such a great Easter egg for fans of Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was good. And I also liked the intro... Which, uh, like in Enterprise, they didn't go with the prime universe, you know, quote unquote yes. prime universe intro to the show. They did a mirror universe intro to the show. 
And that was fantastic. And it had Mirror Universe uh, voiceover of Kirk mm-hmm. saying, oh, to conquer worlds. And it was just, it was so great. That was such a great Easter egg. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Right. It wasn't something I was expecting. But when I heard, heard it, I was like, oh, yes, yes. Thank you for doing this. Because it does pay homage to the Enterprise episode. It does. And oh, it was so good. So good. Yeah, and I can see why DS9 didn't do it, because I think they start in every episode in the Prime Universe, in the Deep Space Nine episodes. Yes, whereas in Amir Darkly, and fairest of them all, they're completely contained within the Mirror Universe, from those characters' perspectives. So that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there anything you didn't like from the episode? Hmm, that's... That's a little tough. I mean, it was very well done. It, it was very well done. I, I liked all the characters. I, I think there should have been maybe a little more Chekhov. I always think Chekhov gets the short end of the stick in these episodes. Right, and that's another thing. Chekhov was you know, evil in that original episode, original series episode. In this one, he's not so evil. I don't know if that's because he's been tortured uh, I, I think he got tortured to the point of, you know, he was he was tortured to the point where he was just being down. I was ready for a change, I think. And I think he was ready for the change that Spock could deliver in this episode. Right. One of the things that I loved was Kirk orders Sulu to go to apprehend Spock, and he says, deadly force is necessary. So he's like, oh, there'll be casualties on both sides. He was like, well... Takes uh, Chekhov and put him in front. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's something the evil Kirk would say. It, yeah, I think the portrayal it was it was great, and the fact that you know when Chekhov first came on board uh, on the bridge, he was like, "Oh crap!" It's like he had that look of like, "Oh God, Kirk's back." Yeah. And then and then Kirk's like, oh, maybe you didn't have enough time in the agony booth. And he sends him right back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I felt so bad for <laughs> Chekhov. Yeah, you can hear him screaming as the turbo lifts uh, going back God. down. So, uh, yeah. oh, it was great. There's, there's little to nothing that I don't like about this episode. Yeah. And they still have the uh, Tantalus field. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I liked about that is that the controls on the field yeah. were they looked smoother and made better than in the original series. But it still looked like the original series. Yeah, it still looked like the original series, but there was this round... Uh, if, if you watch the original yeah. episode, mm-hmm. there was like this round gray part with a button. Yeah. That looked like... In the original episode, it looked kind of like modeling clay or something that was kind of like... Right. And then painted or just gray and put on there. And it didn't look quite right, but in this episode, it was all smooth and it looked good. That That's one thing that caught my eye right away for some reason. And I was like, yes, thank you for doing that. Thank you for fixing that. But I'm glad it also explained the origin of the Tantalus field. Right which was uh, very nice. That was something fans have kind of speculated a lot on. Mm-hmm. It wrapped all the questions that you had from Mirror Mirror 
and it gave you that taste, but like like you said, you wanted more. You want more of this universe, mm-hmm. even though it's the antithesis to all that Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's just a fascinating look at an alternate version of these characters. Well, because of what Spock is doing, he's it, maybe it is all that embodies Star Trek, because Spock is now trying to right the wrong right. and, and go out there. Right. It's uh, I I would love to see more, mm-hmm. especially from Star Trek Continues. I hope they do this again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm eager to see what their next episode will be. Oh yeah, me too. Uh, I look forward to these all the time. Yeah, because uh, like we've said in previous episodes, this is all we have right now until the movie runs its course. Who knows if the third movie will be the last in this reboot. And then hopefully a, a TV show? Who knows? But until then, all we have for consistent presence of, in the Star Trek realm is is these fan productions. Yeah, and it, it's sad that that's the only thing that we have to keep us going. But mm-hmm. if they're all the level of Star Trek continues, I relish it. Right. The the new Star Trek Phase 2 episode that I, I've seen some stills from, that looks really good. The the mm-hmm. Mind sh- uh, Shifter, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, the, the, the Mind Shifter. Uh, that looks really good. And hopefully they don't run into any uh, uh, problems with production and get that out there. Oh, I hope not. I, I think this is going to be great. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, funny... <laughs> fan production things. Mm-hmm. After you watch this episode of Ferris of the Mall, everyone needs to go to their YouTube page and check out the bloopers for this episode. I've never laughed so hard in uh, a long time. The the bloopers were fantastic for this. I'm going to have to do that. I, I haven't done that yet. Oh my god. <laughs> you need to do that when we're done recording because... Mm-hmm. It is the most hilarious thing. Actually, when we're done recording, I'll watch it with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll do that. That sounds uh, good. It's, I, I couldn't stop laughing. It's the best. Awesome, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely do that. Because everyone is a comedian on that cast. They have great, <laughs> great sense of humor. So out of, out, of five, out of five Delta Shields, what do you give this episode? I would give it four and a half. You know what? I was going to say the same thing. Well, there you go. It's a really great episode. It uh, is. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't find really anything wrong with this episode. So why the half point? <laughs> well, because oh. it's, 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 there are things I wish we we're saw We're a little different. Episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some things I wish were a little different. I'm going to have to go back and check when they walk by the dedication plaque to see if it, they changed the U to an I, because that's something I missed. They I, did. They did? Okay. All right. They did. It is ISS Enterprise. I watched in high def, and I saw that. I was like, oh, yes. I mean, the attention to detail is awesome. Uh, on, it, on, it's in incredible. Production. It's incredible. I, I just I just that one thing with the shuttlecraft I wish was different. Other than that, it it was perfect. Yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. So why don't we open hailing frequencies and check out our newest subspace channels? So because of Michael Dorn's presence in this episode as the computer voice, we decided to ask, 
If you could name the Starfleet AI computer interface, so artificial intelligence interface, mm -hmm. computer interface, what would it be? Example, Apple has Siri and Microsoft has Cortana. Wait, Cortana is the Master Chief's AI program. I've never heard... Microsoft has their own Siri? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I don't know if it's out yet, but the... Basically, the, the counterpart to Siri is going to be Cortana. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. So maybe you should switch over to a Microsoft phone. Nope, I, not going to happen. I love it. my <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, <laughs> I won't. Uh, so first, on Twitter, 005, 005 yep. says, Majel, it's the obvious answer. And it sounds like it belongs with Siri and Cortana. Which I agree, and we'll see. And it's a fitting tribute indeed. to Michelle Barrett. And, and many others will also agree. Uh, so continuing on to Facebook, we have Eric Larson Kim Brow Jr. Very good. <laughs> I have an RP that I made some years ago that links the computer with holographic technology in much the same way as the doctor. Called her GEN Generation 11, non-physical computer interface. So wouldn't that be Gen C, <laughs> technically? <laughs> I, I guess. I, I, I think he just calls her Gen. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah that, was, that was cool. Nice that they tie in, they ties in his role play and into that universe. So. Yeah, and I'll give an answer at the end, after we read these, of, of something similar that I made. I never gave this any thought, so I don't have an opinion. Oh. Um, uh, Kevin, well, you have some time to think of it. No, I don't. Oh. Kevin Watson said, <laughs> I'd probably go with Majel, an homage to the woman who voiced Starfleet computers for almost 15 years. Caitlin Marie Walsh said, I second Majel. Mm -hmm. Andrew J. King says, I name it Majel. You know what? I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to go with the popular <laughs> opinion here. I'm going to do that. There you go. And Anthony Lamberti said, well, I would love the AI computer to have the voice of Patrick Stewart or Morgan Freeman, so I would name it Morpat. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, next, from Google+, Plus, we have A. Leeser, who says... Uh, Veriza or Verez? Yes. Female and male. Oh, well, he has pronunciations right here. Yeah. Veriza, like the planet Veriza, mm -hmm. and Vi... Rez. Rez. Vi Rez. So like, I was right. Sure. For, yes, you were right. Uh, sure for resources. For resources. Uh those are original concepts, which I like. I like originality. I do, too. That, that has a nice ring to it. It does. Next, we have Brian Cruz, who says, Nah, I just say computer. It's the simplest. Yeah. <laughs> hey, computer. <laughs> and next, uh, someone going by, it's all about Star Trek, says data. Okay. And... Then finally, from Google Plus, we have David Jackson, who says Dyla, as in Dyla Daystrom. Uh, Dalia, maybe? Dalia. Maybe Dalia. So, is that Daystrom from the original series, maybe his daughter? Uh, I, possibly. I, I, I maybe. never heard of uh, 
Delia Daystrom. Let me I, look that up really quick. Sure. Yeah, I don't see anything connecting it to Star Trek. Uh, but that's still cool. Maybe, maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe no, that's that's cool. <laughs> and uh, finally, we have Star Trek Riza. And on Star Trek Riza, we have Storm, who says, "Thea, Thea, uh, Thea, Thea." Short for Pythia, who yes. was the oracle at Delphi. She was said to be infallible. So she now never when, made mistakes. Right. Now, when I first read that, I thought it said inflatable. What? <laughs> God. <laughs> and you then know, I was going to respond, and I was like, oh, wait. See, I, I'm infallible. See, I'm not infallible. I'm fallible. You're fallible. I am fallible. <laughs> You're full of fail. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think that is a very good name. Mm-hmm. And I like how it ties into mythology, mm-hmm. and that sounds something like it would be in the Star Trek universe. That name sounds like just the the making the the reasoning behind the name. It's very Star Trek like. Right, I agree. Next, we have Andres Butcher Mac, uh, who says, "I thought the name is Magell, isn't it? Anyway, that's my choice." Which is the overwhelming response that we've received on the subspace channels. Yeah, it's very rare that we receive an answer that's a majority. It's usually spaced yeah. out a lot more than this. Yeah, so uh, good job, guys. I, yeah. I I think it makes sense. It's a perfect tribute for Michelle Barrett. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's Her name's really pretty. Right. It's It makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It is. Now, for... What I was going to use, back in the early 90s, before mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek Voyager, okay, I came up with a holographic character mm-hmm. that would have taken command of the ship in case of emergency. Which That is, sounds exactly like a Star Trek Voyager episode. It does, doesn't it? This yes. was before that. And I called her Lucy for Library Unit Computer Interface Emission. That's interesting. Is it? I like that. Yeah. I like that you included an acronym. And I think that's what a computer system needs, like uh, LCARs in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think that fits perfectly. Yeah. I really like that. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, that was me and my elementary school brain. Now, did anyone that worked on Star Trek Voyager, did they go to your school? Did they um, kidnap you at night and (laughs) hypnotized you and got this idea? I think I still have – I drew her in my – I had my own uniform for for this – Holographic character? For this character in this universe that I was creating, uh, Star Trek Raptor. Oh, ooh. Uh, yeah. You so, should revive that. Write a book. Maybe. I was in elementary, not elementary, in middle school, a friend and I were creating a like, comic book based on mm, it. Nice. But uh, sadly, it, it, didn't, it didn't go too far. Well, now is the time in this yeah. void of Star Trek productions. Maybe I will update the whole storyline, because the storyline was, again, from an elementary school, middle school kid. Well, now, with all your Star Trek knowledge, you could really tie something together. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That sounds good. Uh, yeah. Work, work those creative juices. True that. So next, moving on to the final segment of the show, what puts my state into quantum flux? What what puts your <laughs> quantum state into flux, Aaron? You're you're so fluxed, you don't even know the name of the of the of segment. The segment. Ah. So, there are a large variety of Starfleet uniform designs. Star Trek uniform changers are used to show the progression of time or the regression of time in the case of Star Trek Enterprise. In other eras of Star Trek, the changers are quite abrupt with no transition period. A significant amount of time had passed between the last episode of the original series and the motion picture, so a transition may have occurred but wasn't shown. That's something that can be forgiven. The department colors were expanded on. The uniforms had a uh, general monochrome look. The next leap takes place in the very next movie. A huge departure. The one thing that remains consistent with the prior uniform are the expanded department colors. This change remains constant for the remainder of the original series uniforms. The uniforms make a drastic change between Star Trek VI and Season 1 of The Next Generation. The uniforms take on a look that would have made more sense as a transition from the motion picture uniform style, not the Wrath of Khan style. There is also a regression back to the simplified department color scheme, but switches support and command colors. There was somewhat of a transition uniform introduced that removed the undershirt and belt from the Wrath of Khan uniform. In the TNG era, there's a gradual and somewhat natural progression from the Season 1 uniform to the end of the Star Trek Nemesis. Mm -hmm. We've also seen uniform designs of the 29th century and 31st century, although Daniel says he isn't part of Starfleet, perhaps Starfleet doesn't exist as we know it. Ah, interesting. Obviously, there are real-world production reasons as to why the uniform looks different from one series or movie to another. In the motion picture, there was an effort to make the uniforms look more scientific and in line with real-world science. The Wrath of Khan uniforms were meant to be more militaristic. Mm -hmm. And then the Next Generation uniforms were made to show that there was an era of peace. Let's face it, we all love Star Trek uniforms no matter what they look like. I agree. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, I I love I think there's something to like about any iteration of the Star Trek uniforms. Mm-hmm. Of course I have my preferences just as you have yours. Right. But I do like that we did see a progression from Next Generation to Nemesis. It's because that was the period of Star Trek where we had a new Star Trek series and movies every every year for like 15 years. Right. It was nuts. Um, so that was a very natural evolution. I agree. Yeah. And then from the, the only thing that, you know, is kind of crazy is that jump, well, is twice. It's the jump from the motion picture to the Wrath of Khan. Right. Uh, no, I, I don't know <laughs> what happened there. And then uh, from the Wrath of Khan uniform to the TNG era uniform. Now, how much of the motion picture uniforms 
it's been a while since I've seen the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Did were the majority of the scenes were on Enterprise and Space Dock, or did we see other non-Enterprise uh, Starfleet personnel have this uniform? Uh, no, at Starfleet Command. Uh, no, yeah, everyone had the same uniform because okay. epi- on Epsilon. Um, I forget the number, but that station that gets destroyed at the beginning, Yeah, they're in that uniform. They don't have the Enterprise insignia on their shirt, though. It's a mm-hmm. different insignia. Okay. Because I was kind of thinking that maybe that was their uniform while the Enterprise was getting refit. Maybe uh, it was like kind of like a space dock uniform mm. while the ship was in. But no, it was probably all of Starfleet at that point. Yeah, it seemed like all of Starfleet, because uh, one of the main features of that uniform is their belt, belt, which was a medical scanner that took your vital signs. Huh. Which, the reason why they did that was because of NASA. When you go into space, you're all hooked up, and they know everything right. that's going on in your body. Yeah, that's a, that's a little strange. Yeah, yeah. But, that that was I, I a pretty interesting... <laughs> oh, they they look like pajamas. Yeah, yeah, I hate those uniforms. But yeah, yeah, that was a pretty drastic jump, and, and the amount of department colors that that came out of that movie and made and then carried to... on to. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm I'm glad the next generation simplified things, mm-hmm. and they went back to you know even though they switched two of the departments colors. But I I liked it. It was very clear. Even though, you know, you could be an archaeologist, you know, you're not going to have, oh, I I have teal blue instead of navy blue. Like, I I think it just adds less confusion. And in a military type of uniform, the less confusion, the better. It's like you can clearly see people's rank, Mm -hmm. you know, what department they're in, any medals that they received, boom. It's all right there. Right. And even though the um, Wrath of Khan uniforms, which I love, I just think the department colors were really confusing. I still don't know those, and I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Like, I couldn't tell yeah. you which was which. I, I know most of them, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, so we have white is command, gold is engineering, or that yellow color was engineering. Uh-huh. Uh, green was medical. See, they make uh, no sense. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's too many colors. Yeah, there are too many colors, but I, I actually liked that. I liked that they broke it up like that. And if you were in the military or in Starfleet, you, you would know, know what them. they were. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but but as but as a viewer, those colors are so minuscule on the uniform. Because mm-hmm. their main jacket is red, right. everyone looks the same. Right. Like to me, as a viewer, you can't say, "Oh, that's Jim, and he's from sciences." Like you can't, right. you can't really do that. Whereas on on the Next Generation and all the other series, you know immediately what a background extra is. Oh, oh yeah, that oh that's a science guy, or that's this guy. Right, and right. it's very easy to determine if you didn't know 
if you weren't a fan of Star Trek and you just watched The Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. you you wouldn't know off the bat that McCoy was a doctor by his uniform. Right. Whereas I think the original series and The Next Generation, they made that very clear. If someone walks into the medical department and the majority of people in the medical department are, you know, that blue color, you automatically get it. Like, oh, yeah, they're totally scientist guys. Right. Like, you automatically get it. Right. And that's, I think, the failing, the only failing of those Wrath of Khan uniforms because I love those jackets. Mm-hmm. And right. I love. I would love to have a replica of that. But otherwise, department colors, it's like, what? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Now, I think the, the reason why they went back to a simplified color scheme for the departments in TNG was probably mainly because they didn't want to have to make so many different color uniforms. Exactly. It would be a lot cheaper for them to mass produce, you know, red, yellow, and blue than... And those are the main... Those are, you know, some of the main primary colors for TV, so Mm -hmm. it makes the show more colorful anyway. Right. Whereas in the movies, with all those red coats, you know, it's a sea of red (laughs) in some scenes. So, I I don't know. I I think from a real-world perspective, yeah, you know, maybe those uniforms are a bit more militaristic and they make more sense, but from a production standpoint, and a viewer standpoint, it can get a little confusing. Right. Well, that's my thoughts. No, uh, very valid. So I think uh, that pretty much does it for this episode of the Starfleet Escape podcast. Yes. So, Eric, if we wanted to find you on the Internet, where would we go to find you? You can find me pretty much everywhere, um, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff at trekkieb 47 Mm-hmm. And you can also check out my other podcasts on the Four Eyed Radio Network, the Ranger Command Power Hour. And there you go. Nice. Where can they find you? You can find me in most of those places: Twitter at Nova Charter, Instagram at Nova Charter, uh, Star Trek Risa at Nova Charter. Oh yeah, I'm on Risa too. I keep forgetting that. I'm a, I don't <laughs> I don't use it as much as you do, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Star Trek Rise, you can find me there too. Yeah. So until next time, thank you all for listening. See you later, guys. Bye now. Peace out, bro. (laughs) Yeah, totally, for sure. For shizzle. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. This has been another proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You want to see more shows? Go check out www.fouredradio.com, you winkers.